asked for it. Nobody has asked for it in years. However, here's what he says. My concern is this, that if a minor did come to my office and wanted help to live the Christian life, felt he had tendencies toward homosexuality, in other words, he didn't want those same-sex attractions, he wanted to fight against that, by the way, fighting against sexual temptation, a completely forgotten idea. A completely forgotten idea in our culture. Gone. But if he woke up and realized he needs to resist this, this bill would make it a felony for a state licensed therapist to counsel him in that direction. Now, let me just add his opinion. This is the harshest thing he said, which wasn't harsh at all. Listen to this. Benucci said he would not force conversion therapy on a child because it wouldn't work. If a child wants to grow up in the homosexual lifestyle and same-sex relationship, that is his choice. I don't have a problem with that. How clear could he be? Sorry. How clear could he be? Benucci said, what we're saying is let the child choose. Let people choose. That's all he was saying. You want to guess what came out after that? Readers react to THR story, Counselor Back's Conversion Therapy, Times-Herald Record. I'll just read the pertinent point. Your decision to give this bigot the most important place in your newspaper was a poor editorial decision. A fine person from Wallkill. Second one, and this was funny because the last name is Divine. Don't you think that's, that, that's prophetic? It's in the paper. I'm not telling the stories out of, out of this. Here's what it says. I'm greatly disappointed that you gave front page coverage to a religious zealot selling his conversion therapy for the LGBTQ community. Here's my struggle. Apparently, you didn't even read the article. We're attacking something that is, would be called a straw man in an argument. You're fighting with someone who's not fighting with you for no reason whatsoever. The reason I share that is not to say tisk tisk on those people. I share it to say to Christians, don't do that. Don't do that. Make sure you understand who and what you're arguing with. Be respectful and tell them like it is. Now, by the way, I don't mean tell it like it is. That sounds like be obnoxious. That's what I don't want you to be. Remember... Uh, these uh, columns that have been around a long time, Dear Abby. I gave up on her a while back because the moral foundations are totally missing. But this was interesting about this very particular subject. Dear Abby, when people have an opposing point of view, it doesn't mean that they hate you or are ignorant. Our culture is increasingly unable to engage in reasoned dialogue. And that is the truth. Instead, people resort to shouting down reasonable thought and civil debate. I feel sorry for this guy. This guy's uh, name is No Hate in Texas. I like that. <laughs> no Hate in Texas. Listen, my wife and I disagree over substantive issues, but we cope. I would hope so. Our society needs to work toward a renewal of civility. Now, I know all Christians can say amen to that one. And if I dare say, um, my wife has been saying for years now, there is an increasing lack of civility in our culture. And the worst thing that we can do is name call. Have a discussion 
have a dialogue, be clear about where you stand and where you don't stand and what you disagree with. And it is right for us as believers in Jesus to speak into the world situation. It's not wrong. It's right. My wife tried to raise our kids, and I've tried to go along with her, that we don't want our kids to have a mean worldview. Do you know what I mean by that? That the whole world is so mean and terrible and nasty. The world's still a fun place. Most of us are not choosing to leave it prematurely. We enjoy living, and we wanted our kids to have that kind of a healthy mindset. But in our culture, more and more especially, we're seeing this hostility and this lack of civility. So my first point here on my uh, little handout, those of you who are note takers, it was to give a clarification about something. One, Christians should not sound stupid. It'd be good not to sound stupid. It'd be good to investigate what you want to speak out against and then speak according to truth. And we're not called to be obnoxious. Some people think, you know, I remember I had a person in my church years ago, parent would share the gospel and it was always this railing, you're going to hell, hateful approach. And by the way, people are. That is true, right? There is a heaven and a hell. This is why we share the gospel. I hope you share the gospel when you get the opportunity. That is true. But the way that it came across was absolutely so disdainful and hurtful that it turned people away from the gospel. You all know what I'm talking about. It's, it's everywhere. We are not to be that way. Christians shouldn't sound that way. However, the second clarification, it is appropriate to speak out, especially when the Spirit puts it on you. I called Reverend Benucci, and he said, you know what? It would be great if you'd write into the paper. So I said, okay. <laughs> and I'm going to. And then I'm going to have hassles. That's okay. It's okay. Because it needs to be pointed out. You didn't read the article. You're attacking a straw man. We're not trying to take your freedom away from you. Why do you want to take my freedom away from me? This is what the problem is. Think about what you're doing and what you're saying. It is appropriate to speak out and push back and, uh, and call people to what is right and wrong. I don't have time to unpack uh, an article that um, uh, Mike sent my way uh, that was a response to some of this uh, with Cuomo's issue, uh, that it is appropriate for the church to call people to what is right, not to quote verses. They're not gonna, you won't quote the Quran and to quote Bible verses to the public who don't believe that. You're appealing to an authority they don't respect. But the value of human life, all should respect. That's why we have laws to protect ourselves. And we seem to lose sight of some of that. So first clarifications. Make sure that we're respectful. Number two, it's appropriate to speak out. But there's one more thing that I need to make clear. And that is, as well as you might do, you need to be prepared for what might happen. Oh, it's probably a year ago now, there was a campus group that was particular, a Christian campus group that was being shut down by the powers that be, the political pressure on the campus where they were ministering. And they 
were respectful and they made appeals and they did everything they could to communicate the gospel and the love of Christ to everyone. People in authority, the ones making decisions, the ones that were opposing them, they worked their tails off to do it right. They still ended up shut down unfairly, unjustly. Probably they could have had a lawsuit if they wanted there's some reality that they had to conclude as they wrote this long article that I read. The reality was you need to face the fact that we are in a fallen world and there is an enemy. So with that in mind, let me show you my first passage of scripture that is not out of Titus. We're going to read Titus in a few minutes. Just by way of reminder to clarify, if the world hates you, without looking at a mean worldview, just take the words of Jesus for what they say. If the world hates you, you know it's hated me before it hated you. Hello? Guess what? Get, you know, it's like, get in line. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Simple. It doesn't mean everybody's like that. It doesn't mean people don't see your good works and value you and, and uh, honor you. I've, I've probably been a recipient of way more respect than I deserve over the years, trying to be loving to my neighbors, trying to do the right thing, whatever it might happen to be. I've been very well respected. However, I do remember when I shared the gospel with some of my friends, I got a call from one of the fathers that said, I took that Bible you gave my son, tore it up and threw it down the incinerator and yakety yakety yak. I didn't invite him to my next Christmas party, by the way. I just, just, no. Can I tell you how I reacted to that? I felt this uncanny joy flood my soul instantly. God, I had done nothing wrong. I had reached out to my friend. All my friends back then were Jewish. And I had shared what I knew. This young man prayed with me. I don't know where he's at to this day. However... I had done the right thing. I had been nothing but loving. I hadn't condemned his, his parents' faith, if they had any. Don't know. And I caught all this flack completely unfairly. And the joy of the Lord flooded my spirit. Because the scripture told me, Blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I don't know about you, but I have too few of those kind of stories. <laughs> I have some, but too few. The world will, can, follow their master, Satan, to hate on what you're saying. You just have to face that reality. Don't get a mean worldview about it. Just recognize the enemy doesn't like you talking for Jesus. And he'll use his followers to aggravate you if possible. My encouragement is in clarifying, earn the hearing. Try to earn a hearing. But even if you earn it, you do everything right. Don't be surprised if you come up against some opposition. I put up on the screen two weeks ago uh, George Orwell's statement, in the time of deceit, which we are in, telling the truth is a revolutionary act, right? 
a time of deceit. When people are saying what's up is down and what's down is up and what's black is white and what's white is black and we're reversing so many things, surely we're in a time of deception. Telling the truth is a revolutionary, can I put it this way, it's an aggravating act. And somebody has said this is George Orwell also and then there's a debate on the internet and you can't trust the internet. I'd have to research it and I just don't have time right now. The further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. So that's just something to keep in mind via um, a clarification that I would want my, my saints... Not, you know, John the Apostle said, nothing makes me happier than to see my children. He means this, the followers that he's discipled walk in the truth. Not being obnoxious, being respectful of all men, all women, respectful, but speaking the truth, taking the risk. I love hearing from people, and we have some in our fellowship, who know how to engage the world with their odd thinking from our chair and what have you, and they interact in a gracious, positive, connecting way. They can actually have a dialogue with people rather than a shouting match. And that's the way it ought to be. So this, um, within the last two weeks, I'm interacting with one of my neighbors, and um, there's another part to this clarification, okay? I'm interacting with my neighbor, and... uh, He's talking about um, something that flashed me back to when we lived up in Binghamton because up there they put out a little, I don't know if they did it down here, they put out the Christian yellow pages. They, oh, you did? Oh, Shepherd's Guide. That's even a better name. I like that. But anyway, the, the Christian yellow pages. And here was the tagline. You ready for this? To be sure. There was only one problem with it. You couldn't always be sure. And my neighbor just said to me, you know, I was watching this professional that fixes things in your house that you have to pay for. You know those kind of things, you know, electricians, plumbers, all of that stuff when you have problems. And he said he had one of those ichthuses. You know what an ichthus is, right? It's the fish symbol. And the name Ichthus is the title in Greek of Jesus, right? It's in there, Ichthus, Yesu, Christus, right? Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. That's a little, that was free. That was free. He had that. He said, I was watching, I'm like, is he doing this because he, he wants the business from all the sucker Christians, you know? I mean, that's really, that's what he was thinking. Because they fall for it. Christians love falling for stuff. Anyway, so... They, you know, little thing, you know. Immediately, my mind went back to experiences, some that my own son had working for a Christian company. And it's like, ooh! So can I add one more clarification? Are you all with me still? You don't want to leave yet? You want me to leave? Because I'm not going to. As long as I haven't fainted from vertigo yet. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, boy. I shouldn't have done that. It was funny, but I shouldn't have done it. Next verse, please. Thank you. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
wow, that's what I experienced as a brand new Christian. I don't think I was six months old in the Lord when that happened. And the glory, the, the sense of God's favor just fell. It rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a cheat in the Christian yellow pages. Oh, it didn't say that. It says, by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. By the way, you can translate evildoer. At, oh, see, I came prepared. I'm pointing the wrong direction. This word here. Evildoer can be translated a criminal. A criminal. Or a troublesome meddler. Uh-oh. <laughs> No Beethoven this morning, please. That was good. By no means let it... Look, we all go, yeah, not me. Murderer, thief. No, I'm not a criminal. Well, we've had some sitting here too, yeah. Troublesome meddler. Hmm. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. Amen? Amen. What's he basically saying? Don't, get, don't, don't lose your witness because you're being a jerk. How how more clear can it be? Earn a hearing. Earn a hearing not only with your respectful speech, but with a godly life. Clean up your act. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Be in the process of growing. By the way, the verse that came after this I shared last night. Let me just fire. It's time for judgment to begin the household of God. Remember that one? It starts with us, friends. Okay, skip that. I don't want them distracted. Okay, it's time for judgment to begin with us. Paul says at one point, you might remember this, when he's talking about communion, the fact that God's spirit was striking people down. Did you hear what I said? He was killing people, his people in church, taking them home to glory because they were dishonoring him in the worship service. See, God isn't real to us, is he? We don't believe that. We don't believe that would happen here. Oh, I think some of it has. So, get your witness clear with your mouth, but also with your life. Simple. Not perfection. Nobody's perfect. But you're in process. So there, I'm going to take us down a walk through memory lane. What choice do I have? I'm running out of time, personally. (laughs) Anybody know who that is? Oh, boy, this is a good one. This goes back to the 70s. This guy, who? No, no. You know what? There is a similarity there. Who said that? Who said it? Who said it? Ben. Who said it? You both. He would know. You you, you would know. No, no, let me explain. Everybody stop. Stop. You work with criminals. That's what I'm trying to say. See, you, everybody, see how we jump to the wrong conclusions? None of you are allowed to write into the newspaper. Nope, you're going to get it all wrong. See, I said he would know, and he goes, what? Why, why did he freak out? Larry Flint was a major pornographer. Hustler magazine. He had a supposed conversion experience. I read about it. He had orangutans chewing on his neck during his conversion. I'm like, 
This is more like a drug. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, a trip, a bad trip, you know? And uh, so then when he came to his senses, he renounced his conversion because he was so pressured by the fact that he couldn't do Christian pornography. Is there such... There's the question. Is there such a thing? I don't want to know. You're in the wrong church, honey. You're going to have to know here. So... You know, this is like the thing that I've been so good at, selling drugs. I'm going to do it for Jesus now. Think of how many times I could witness to my, my buyers, you know? Prostitutes for Jesus, you know? We're running our business and witnessing to our customers. Yes! Now, when you hear that, see, he was a criminal. Don't be caught as a... Don't let a Christian suffer as a criminal. As a jerk. <laughs> but for doing the right thing, oh, then the glory of God will fall on you. So all of that story, I know, it's an absurdity, right? It sounds absurd. Well, I wish it sounded more absurd than it can sometimes in our culture because we have lost our moorings and what is absolutely right and wrong. So my point is simply this, a clarification. <laughs> Christians need to be respectful. They need to be free as the Lord leads them to speak out in a respectful way. But even if they do, they're going to face on occasion opposition. But make sure you're facing opposition for Jesus' sake, not for stupidity's sake. Of which Christians, unfortunately, have lost a lot of hearing in our culture because of the way we have come across, which has been well, let me, let me fill in the blanks myself. First one was a clarification. The second point in my sermon is amazing volition. Where is he going? Because we look at Larry Flint and we say, oh, well, that's ridiculous, you know, to be that goofy. And we, so we just discount. We go, well, that's not me. I, I've never done anything like that. But we do get derailed in our spiritual life, don't we? We do get derailed. Let me tell you what it looks like. Oh, it doesn't look like selling porn. Here's what it looks like. Self-righteousness. Here's a favorite of Christians. Whining. You see that? Hear that? Oh, boy, right there. Whining. Self-pity. Oh, man. I have found Christians to be some of the most self-pitying... so hard. Bitter, impatient, selfish, sometimes sensational, histrionic. That's a good word. You know what histrionic is? Look it up. Anyway, people have this amazing gift from God called volition, a choice. I cracked up. How many of you uh, folks have gotten, is it Marie Kondo's joy of cleaning out your house? Yeah, yeah. Get rid. If it doesn't give you joy, throw it out. Right? Wow, man. I'd be down to like five things, you know. If it doesn't give you joy. And uh, 
I read a great article about this book. The woman said, you know what? I had great joy when I threw her book out. Anyway, so, you know, it didn't give me joy, so I got rid of the book, you know? My point is, yeah, it's like those of us who have too much junk, we're like, oh, please take that book away. Here's my point. We have this power of choice, to be or not to be. Hamlet is debating, do I want to live or not? I have the power over that. Isn't it amazing? Power over my life. Psychologists, and it comes out continually in help, self-help columns, in AIRP magazine, the newspaper, you name it. You can make a choice whether you want to be happy or not. It's just true. This is one of the dignities of being human. Do you understand? We are made imago dei, in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's not like the Mormons say that God looks like me, except a little better looking. You missed it. You totally missed it. That God looks like a human being. That's not the point of the image of God. The image of God is personhood. Intellect, the ability to think, intellect, emotion, he feels. And the last one is he chooses. We are like him. We can think, we can feel, we can choose. That's the dignity of man. And all of this giving excuses why everybody's got a syndrome and an issue and they can blame everything else instead of themselves is a degrading of the responsibility of humanity, of being made in the image of God. I've got two books here today, and I'm going to get through every page of both of these before the morning's... I'm making that up, Steve. You don't have to leave now. He's raising his hand. Can I be dismissed? Sir? No, no, except the saints in glory will see him, whatever that means, how we see him completely, right? No one can see God in human form because we'll be fried. It would be like standing in front of an atomic blast, if you will. We'd be evaporated, so. He didn't see, no, see, that's, this is, all right, so now you just, all right, so everybody, five extra minutes because of Steve, our brother Steve. Steve. Steve is a growing disciple. He gives me joy. He really does. So, so here's the thing. Uh, when it comes to that language, that's called anthropomorphisms. God has to be described in ways that we get. So it says he turns his back. Well, he doesn't have a back. Like I've always found that verse in, is it Hesitations 12? It says God has great tricks up his sleeve, you know. <laughs> He doesn't wear sleeves. I made that up. I made that. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. But you get what I'm saying? When it says, when God, when, when Jacob wrestles with the angel of God, which is Jesus probably, in his pre-incarnate form, they wrestle. He says, I've seen God face to face and I didn't die. They all get it. I should be dead. I saw God face to face. He didn't literally see God in his fullness. When it says, when you see God in his fullness, you have to be dead to do that. You have to be living in the other dimension. Does that help? Okay, good. Very nice. Extra credit for you. All right, so. Let me just read this to us. 
This is, by the way, this book is John Stott, The Cross of Christ. I have highly recommended this before. I can't recommend it highly enough. Worth uh, digesting from cover to cover. The Bible takes sin seriously because it takes man, male and female, seriously. Did you get that? It takes man seriously. We're not taking humanity seriously anymore. As we have seen, Christians do not deny the fact, in some circumstances, of diminished responsibility. Sometimes we have to cut people slack. You know, they couldn't help it. They were there by, by reason of this, insanity, drugs, whatever. But we affirm that diminished responsibility always entails diminished humanity. To say somebody is not responsible for his actions is to demean him or her as a human being. It is part of the glory of being human, that we are held responsible for our actions. Then we will also acknowledge our sin and guilt. We receive God's forgiveness, enter into the joy of his salvation, so become more completely human and healthy. The glory of God is man fully alive. What is unhealthy is every wallowing in guilt that does not lead to confession, repentance, faith in Jesus Christ, and so forgiveness. Now, he quotes from C.S. Lewis, who wrote an article called The Humanitarian Theory of Punishment. He's talking about the fact that we're accountable for what we do, that we have this amazing gift of volition. We can cho- you can choose to obey the law or not. You can choose to run the red light in Pine Bush, which they do, and end up killing somebody, and your response, oh, I couldn't help myself, baloney. So, if we have reasons that take away the responsibility of human volition, it's to be put on a level with those who have not yet reached the age of reason or those who never will, to be classed with infants, imbeciles, and domestic animals. But to be punished, however severely, because we deserved it, because we ought to have known better, is to be treated as a human person made in God's image. I told you it's worth digging into. Makes you think. You understand, we devalue humanity by taking away the responsibility for the idiot things we do. It's upside down. The amazing gift of volition, because I've been made in the image of God. I can make a choice to be or not to be. Godly or ungodly. An attractive person or a jerk. I can choose. That's why I park so much on the subject of spiritual formation. I'm a fanatic. I can't change my mind and I won't change the subject. The goal of the saints, the goal of the gathering of the body of believers, why we preach the word is to help you on your journey to heaven. Not just get you a ticket into heaven, which is where you have parked with wrong doctrine. Did you hear what I said? I'm going to speak to that in just a minute but a process of sanctification that makes me more and more like Jesus, which is what you were called to when you followed him. Look at the disciples in the New Testament. Were they ever the same? 
So let me bring up an old quote that I've used before from a book called, get this, the first line is spiritual formation. That's what it's talking about. Spiritual formation is the progressive, it's not instantaneous, a progressive patterning of a person's inner, oh, please pay attention, inner and outer. What's wrong with legalism? Thank you. It's all outward. Hey, I gave my tithe. I did my devotions. I read the daily bread. I came to church. I'm good. I'm good. I left church and swore at the idiot who cut me off. I kicked my dog across the room because I got a tax increase. I did this. I did. I'm not looking like Jesus. Oh, but on the surface, I did all the rules. Are you getting it? Is it clear enough? Inner and outer life, according to the image of Christ, and here's the tough one, through intentional means of spiritual growth. Intentional means of spiritual growth. What kind of means? Derek preached a few weeks back. He used Joshua. Choose this day. Choose. Volition. Choose. It won't happen by itself. Did you hear me? It won't. It's too many of you are coming. You come here. Oh, I got my little, my weekly, you know, flu shot, the injection. Been there. I'm good. No, it's all through my life. Intentional means of being changed. What are you working on? Okay, so... All of us who have been around for a while and had kids, and now we're grandparents. Anybody here a grandparent? Proud of it! Chickens. Anyway, there's only five of you that raise your hand. Come on! Huh? There, there. Okay, thank you, John. Thank you, John. You're reinstated. Okay. So, it's all good. So, got grandkids, right? So... We have a thing in our family, and probably you have it too, but it depends. So, let's see. Sherry's folks, the first grandkids were her niece, uh, nephews. And because they couldn't, you know, little kids can't speak really well yet. You know, like, what's grandpa's? That's grandma so-and-so. You know, they don't do that. They come up with these, like, lispy, mixed-up little names. So... Uh, Siggy uh, uh, was one of the uh, aunts, Aunt Siggy. But Mame and Bobbin were the grandparents. That's her mother, May, became Mamie, May, Mame. And her father's name was Kendall. Didn't work. Somehow it came out as Bobbin. Why? How? <laughs> we do. My grandfather was called Bobbin. Uh, so Kendall was Bobbin. Okay, so that's how some of that happened. But my wife had this great idea that when we had grandkids, she wanted to preempt the grandchildren and say, 
yeah, I think we should be Grammy and grumpy. <laughs> That's why we needed to go into this, honey. So Sherry and I are having a little therapy session after church. But um, so she said, yeah, I think we should be Grammy. Isn't that special? Grammy and grumpy. What's that? You're probably right. So, of course, of course, I reacted in a very gracious and godly way and uh, said, no, I'm standing for justice. The children will decide. And they did. So she's Gammy and I'm, what, what's my name again? Yeah, I ended up being Pop Pop. But here's my point. I have a picture that people will remember. Remember this guy? And I always mention it at Christmas time because I dutifully watch this every year. And here's why. I made a choice. I don't want to end up like him before his conversion. I want to be like him on the other end. I don't want to be a curmudgeon, a hateful, despised, Individual, I made a choice to let the grace of God change me so that I really wasn't grumpy, even though occasionally I still am. Especially when I read the paper in the morning, she hears my grumpy side come out. But I didn't want to be there. How about you? So I have a son that um, went to a yard sale, I think, and picked up a book from me, which is a rare thing, and he gave it to me, and I considered it a great treat. Some of you have read some of this, I think. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I've quoted him a number of times. His excellent book, Life Together, is worth uh, going through. And in the, um, and I'm, my, I actually have a goal to read this, and it's a big book, so I've got to tell you, reading is work to me. If that's encouragement to you, let it be. It's work, but I'm looking forward to it. But the foreword was written by Tim Keller, a brother worth listening to, and he said this. <coughs> Excuse me. He was talking about why Hitler came to power and why Bonhoeffer went against it and all of that. But what he was getting at is that Lutheranism, which had won the day in Germany, had slid into two dimensions. Legalism, outward action that didn't mean anything, or um, a, a, a looseness on the other end. Now, let me just read it to you. On the one hand, the church had become marked by formalism. That meant going to church and hearing that God just loves and forgives everyone, so it doesn't really matter how you live. Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace, which, by the way, we have an infection of this here, cheap grace. It, it sounds like this, you know, no matter how a person's living, oh, I know they prayed this prayer. That's not biblical, okay? Or I'm okay, I'm on my way, and so, I, you know, I'm, I'm good, I don't break the law, I pay my taxes, whatever. It's like, really? That's all there is to it. That's cheap grace. Germany lost hold of the brilliant balance of the gospel that Luther so persistently expounded. Listen to this. I thought I should have had this on the screen. Maybe next time. 
We are saved by faith alone. Wait. But not by faith which is alone. Let me repeat that. We are saved by faith alone, but not by faith which is alone. The faith does not manifest new birth, change, grace at work, transformation, the phenomenal volitional choice of being made in the image of God to choose to cooperate with grace by intentional means to progress. That's not real salvation. That is, we are saved not by anything we do, this is Keller now, but by grace. And if we have truly understood and believed the gospel, it will change what we do and how we live. One last comment. I love the way he put this. This is Keller. If God was willing to go to the cross and endure such pain and absorb such a cost in order to save us. Listen, you have to stop thinking in terms of, no, the cross is covered, but the cross, oh, Jesus died on the cross. That was so painful. That's not what he's talking about. That's only part of it. Talking about the pain and absorbing the cost is the impact on the entire Godhead for eternity to rescue us. I know I've probably lost some of us there. Such a cost. He was willing to pay such a cost in order to save us, then we must sacrificially serve others. We must live sacrificially in serving others. If God was willing to pay up, you're not paying up to earn your salvation. You're serving God who rescued you. It's a natural response. Does that make sense? You have to choose. It won't happen on its own. You have to choose intentional progress. Left to itself, second law of thermodynamics, everything goes from state of repair to disrepair. You've got to go against that flow. You have to. And the grace of God is available to help you do it. So that brings me to our text and the beginning of my sermon. (laughs) Kidding. But I am going to read the text now at the end of the sermon. And here's what it says in first uh, in Timothy. I'm sorry, Titus. You all know where I am. Titus. This is the first chapter and it's the description of elders. But I want you to understand. You all know who Dr. Ashley is. He's our Bible teacher. When I mentioned talking about the elder qualifications in Titus to him, he said, yes, Christians need to understand that that's not just for officers. Every Christian should be aspiring to that. I said, wow, you want to come preach here? (laughs) For this reason, I left you in Crete that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed. Now, skip anything else about elders because this is the standard for all Christians. Elders have one thing added at the end. They must be able to refute error, handle the scripture, all of that. But the rest of us are called to emulate what elders are. Elders are supposed to model normal Christianity. Here's what it says. Namely... If anyone is the above reproach, the husband of one wife, that means they're not Larry Flint selling porn in the name of Jesus. That's what above reproach is, okay? It's not perfect. Husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. 
The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, but hospitable, loving what is good, <sighs> sensible, just, devout, and self-controlled. How do you like that for a mouthful? Can I give you a high-level pass on it? Put that down or people might read it. We don't want that to happen. High-level insight. This is what it's describing. You ready? A healthy Christian under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Three things. Biblical sexual ethics. That's huge in our culture. We've lost it. Biblical sexual ethics. Everything that that means. Self-controlled, both physically and verbally. Physically and verbally. Genuine care with integrity for his family and for others outside. That's the oversight. That's what it is. To be or not to be. I can choose to be that or I can choose not to be that. And I won't even take time unpacking. You remember three weeks ago when I gave my title, it was heretics and whatever. Put that verse up real quick. See, a man that is a heretic. Remember that? Here's the NASV version. Let's go to the next one. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. I can be the Holy Spirit growing model, or I can be the troublesome problem model. Factious. My way or the highway. I can't tell you how many times I want to pull my hair out in ministry because of groupies. Do you know what I mean by groupies? It's like, this is the way I follow this guy on the radio. Yeah, this guy out of Chicago, he says this, Pastor, and you're wrong because he says this. You know what? You need to move to Chicago and join his church. <laughs> and not only that, he'll probably throw you out in about two years because you're a factious person. You can't team up with the rest of the body. It's got to be your way. It's very sad. You make me sad. Good sir, night. And sometimes they become so agitatable, I don't know if that's the right word, they want everyone else on the same team. Such a man is perverted and is sinning. He's self-condemned. That either means he knows in his heart that he's guilty or it's obvious to everyone that he's off track. If you think about it, we know there are people. We know people off track here, right? We Here's who I think about when I think about a person who's subversive. Remember him? You got to be older. Remember this. That's the original Pinocchio, right? The cartoon. Anybody remember that guy, Wiley? What's his name? What's his name? Do you, do you know his name? Oh, I can't remember now. I had it. I had it written down three weeks ago. But uh, yeah, he's the one that derails Pinocchio on his journey. Want to become an actor? Hi, diddly dee, an actor's life for me. And off he goes. He derails. Not only is he corrupt, but he takes others with him. That's what's involved in that word. So you have a choice, so get rid of him. <laughs> Thank you. Huh? Honest John. Yes, Honest John. Which, he isn't Honest John, is he? He's not at all. There's the point. So... To be or not to be, I can choose to embrace spiritual growth 
By the way, I don't care if you're 90. Wasn't it, wasn't it brother, um, my friend, who was here? No, the other one. The fr- from Albany. He was here for the depression seminar. Ray Lightcap, who said his mom, who was in her, ni- in, in her 90s, was having a Bible study. say, I'm learning so much. I'm still trying to apply this to my life and become Christ-like. We're all in that process, friends. So now I'm going to meddle. I haven't been meddling yet this morning. Now I'm going to meddle. State of the church. I'm closing with this. Back weeks ago, I made a statement. I don't know if anybody cared or heard it, that our assembly has groups. There's the little flock, what I call the little flock, those who are hungry, maybe want to, some are afraid, some are holding back, they're protect, but they want to be in tune with God and see him do something. And then there's folks that are stuck, I believe, because the church isn't collapsing, we haven't fallen apart, so it's good enough, it's all fine, we just kind of play this game, you know, do it, it's all right. But we're not living up to what God's called us to. So here's what I said I was going to do. And by the way, if you're wondering where you are, I dare you to ask me. I'm not coming after you. I've, I've done a little coming after, and I've hit a wall. Very depressing. But you can ask me. My goal from now on is to feed the little flock. I've talked this morning about spiritual formation. If you want to go after it, praise the Lord. If you refuse, then have it your way. Do what you have to do. I will feed the little flock. I'll do the best I can to feed you. If you're part of the little flock, you're hungry, you say, I need to know about this, I need to know about this. I will do my best to feed what you need. I'm going to feed that. I'm going to ignore those who refuse to move forward. I have to. But I did say this. If you get in the way of the little flock and cause them to stumble, I will be in your face. And then you won't like me anymore. And that's okay. So I know that sounds pretty nasty and ferocious. not trying to be. I love you as a body, but it's time for the church to move forward because the kingdom languishes. And there are people that are needing to become children of God by new birth and sit in these chairs and develop in their faith, become more and more like Jesus, the Savior. So I think I'm done. I'm going to pray, and we have some announcements. We're going to take an offering, and after that sermon, we probably won't get anything. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. I want to thank you that your grace was not poured out in vain on the Apostle Paul, and it was not poured out in vain on many of us, and it was not poured out in vain on me. Thank you. And let that great work of grace continue to manifest the nature of Jesus in your people right here at Harmony. For your namesake, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Sorry.